Welcome to The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Tuesday, September the 26th, 2023. On this edition of The Politocrat, Emotions and Emoticons. Where white men and black men are concerned. I'll get into this and I'll explain coming up next. Dear listener, good grief. Hello to you on this Tuesday, September 26, 2023. How are you? How are you today on this Tuesday? I hope you're well. I hope you're feeling well. I hope you are healthy, as healthy as you can be under the circumstances. And if you are not, I do hope that you get better soon. And I do hope that you continue to uh, try to be as healthy as you can. You've got this really crazy flu season. Don't forget to get your flu shot. You've got COVID shots coming, of course. Um, get your COVID shot, most the latest one, which I think is coming what, the next uh, few days from now. should be available in, to people already. So make sure you do that. There's an RSV shot, this kind of new um, respiratory virus that's been going around. And it's a real problem if you're 60 or older. But I think you really need to get looked at for that or get uh, your shot for that too. So this is the time of year where... Uh, all these shots need to be done. And look, I'm not your doctor <laughs> and I am not a doctor, but I am saying that health is so important. You know, we're at some point, all of us um, will no longer be here. I mean, that's just the way it is for human beings. We do not live forever on this planet. Um, but while we are here, for the short time that we are here, we need to be healthy. We need to be as healthy as we can be. I know family history, genetics, I all I understand all of that. We need to be as healthy as we can be, to live uh, as healthy as we can. And I know that it's a struggle. Um, not everyone is able to do that. Many of us struggle. Many of us fall by the wayside. It's a battle. Um, but health is so important. Make health your number one priority today and every day. Please, please. You know, I said something in the last episode about um, focusing on discipline when you want to lose weight if you're one of those persons who wants to. Um, I recognize, and, and I've said this before, I said this in the episode, it's not the same for everyone. And what one person can do, another may not be able to do. And by the way, on social media, I made a comment about this, which rankled a few people. And I want to apologize for my comment about Ozempic, you know, it's a it's a weight loss drug. Typically, actually, deals with diabetes and and high blood pressure and lowering those things. And so, Ozempic, I think, specifically targeted to diabetes. And diabetes uh, sometimes has a lot to do with your weight, and sometimes it may not have much to do with it. But the bottom line is is that I was talking about the use of Ozempic for weight loss, and. There are people I recognize who may not have, uh, um, look, may not be able to lose weight in the same way or lower blood pressure in the same way that others are able to. I do completely understand that. So I don't, I want to apologize for my insensitivity in the comments I made and also um, making the comments that I did. I think I should have tailored them in a different way. And so, uh, the offense that I caused, I apologize for 100%. Those are on, that's all on me. 
And I do recognize that everyone is not in the same position and everyone cannot lose weight in the same way. And everyone does not have the same genetics, the same family history, the same stresses, the same anything. I definitely know that. So I do want to make sure and make clear to say that I apologize profoundly uh, around that. And I do want to say, in addition, that no matter what your station is, you can do this. Whether you are using drugs that can help you or whether you're not, you can do this. You can lose weight if you choose to. If you make up in your mind to do that, do it any way that you can that makes you comfortable. The toughest part is to keep that weight off. So I just want to reiterate that from the previous episode. I do want to thank you very much indeed, dear listener, for being here on this edition of the Political Daily Podcast. I want to just jump into a headline or two um, before going on. Bob Menendez, Bob Menendez, the Democratic senator out of uh, New Jersey in the United States Senate, is not resigning. He has made it very clear that he is going to stay and fight. Look, I think that's not a terrible idea um, because you are supposedly innocent until proven guilty, unless you're black, of course, because in this country, if you're a black person, you are presumed guilty. And then that's the end of that. In fact, you walk down the street, you're presumed guilty. In fact, you go into a store, you're presumed guilty because you're being watched everywhere you go. Every move you make, every step you take, I'll be watching you. And that's not just a a song from the police. That's the literal police. And that's the anybody who is a security guard type of police or any white person watching every move you make in the neighborhood you live in, in the store you go to, in the school you go to, in the freaking workplace you're in. So yeah, that is real. That is very, very real. And so, you know, innocent until proven guilty is only reserved for white people in in the United States of America. That because that's where that goes. Bob Menendez is a white Latino uh, from he's got Cuban background. But um, and he says that all of these uh, charges are based on him being Latino. Now, look, um, that may have some validity, but that may not. I tend to think that based on what we've learned about Senator Menendez, it probably doesn't have validity in this case. Why? Because he's already been charged with other crimes and a grand jury or a jury um, uh, of his peers had a hung jury on him. So they couldn't agree on on what charges he was guilty on. They couldn't unanimously agree. So this isn't his first rodeo in the criminal justice system. So now that he's been indicted on all this other stuff now, which is pretty darn serious, gold bars in his house, and his excuse at a press conference yesterday, dear listener, was, well, you know, I'm not going to play the press conference. Well, you know, I'm an old-fashioned person, and I do this and I do that and I put my money under my mattress. Uh, Basically, that was what he was saying yesterday. Uh, Not good enough. You cannot be doing stuff like that. And that can't be your legal defense. Surely at trial, um, that's not your legal defense, is it, Senator? Is it? That that you're an old-fashioned Cubanos, and you put money under your mattress, and you don't put it in a... That's not going to carry the day with some skeptical jurors. I don't think so. I don't think that's going to pass the smell test. But anyway, we'll see about uh, Senator Menendez. The Democratic senators are wasting no time in urging him to resign. At least eight at last count. Uh, 
Last time I looked, uh, that's probably going to grow. But um, I don't think Menendez is going to resign. He's already said that in this press conference yesterday. And the bottom line is that we're going to be seeing a trial here. So that's what's going to happen. And then if he's found guilty, obviously we'll have to give up his seat uh, in the Senate. He's already uh, being run against in the primary next year. Andy Kim, Representative Andy Kim, and I forget which part of New Jersey he's a rep from in the U.S. House, but he's going to be running against Menendez um, in in the primary for next year. Now, see, this is the big difference. The Democrats are very clear. They want Menendez out. The Democrats always do this. When it comes to one of their own being accused of wrongdoing, they're going to pipe up the loudest, right? When the Republicans are accused of wrongdoing, they just sit there silently and support the person. No, he, he should uh, keep going in his job of all these indictments. <laughs> but Democrats, oh no, they, they make it very clear. No, we're going to make sure we can't have this kind of garbage in here. Boom. Innocent to proven guilty, yes, but we will make sure that um, we make it very clear where we stand. We do not want him here. And you had all of them. Uh, AOC came out as well in the House saying, look, nope, no, he's got to go. He's got to resign. Um, you got all these senators including past senators like Senator uh, Claire McCaskill, who, of course, now enjoys life at MSNBC as a pundit, an analyst, a pundit, whatever you want to say, um, regarding her role there. And she was calling for her to, for, calling for Menendez to go as well. So, you know, you got retired senators saying he's got to go in the Democratic Party. Oh, no, he's got to go. Same thing about Franken, remember? Back in 2015 or whenever it was, when everyone was in the Democratic Party in the Senate side was saying, oh, Al Frank has got to go, got to go, got to go, got to go right now. And he did. He ended up going. And much and he was pulling teeth because he never wanted to leave. Um, the allegations were not confirmed, um, uh, were not proven, rather, I should say. Uh, and he, But he had to go. Now, I believe the women who made the allegations i'm just saying that they weren't proven in a court of law that he went and that was the democratic senators who were over and over and over again every day coming out saying he's got to go he's got to go he's got to go and they went to almost their whole entire democratic u.s senate side urged a fellow democrat al franken to go and he did and he's gone gone a long time now but that is just that's just the way that goes the Democratic Party is going to make it very clear that they don't want this kind of garbage. The Republicans, oh no, let's have the criminality and the accusations and the allegations and all the rest. And so that's the difference here. This is not both sides. This is very clearly a criminal Republican enterprise, which is what it is. So I just want to put that out there. And also the other thing is President Biden today stopped off in Detroit in Michigan to express some solidarity, really, with the striking UAW workers, the you know the United Auto Workers, who are on strike in three different places because of the outrageous profits of these CEOs, these greedy bastards. Pardon my French, pardonnez-moi français, in their uh, grabbing of profits. I mean, five, six, seven hundred times the amount of the salaries of these workers, that's the profit of these people, multi-billion dollar profits, billions of dollars in profits, millions and billions of dollars in profits, 700 times plus that 
700 times what the salaries of these workers who bust their asses every day and don't get wage increases. And you want to know why people are striking all over the world? People are Because these corporations, these companies are greedy. End of story. They are greedy bastards. And that is what you're seeing here all over the world. You're seeing strikes. You're seeing strikes all over the place. You see a strike now with the Screen Actors Guild. That's been going on for now a few months, two or three months now. You see the Writers Guild. They've just come to some kind of tentative agreement um, with Hollywood around ending their strike and uh, on conditions and pay and all the rest and contractual things. Now, that's not officially over, but the agreement was reached on Sunday tentatively. It needs to be ratified by the uh, Writers Guild, the union at large and all the rest. But that's something that's happened. But the bottom line is there's so many places all over the world. The National Health nurses in the United Kingdom were on strike recently. You've had transportation strikes in the United Kingdom and elsewhere. I mean, this is something that is Kaiser Permanente. They're on the verge of doing the same. A strike was averted by the UPS, United Parcel Service here in the United States. You've had a number of things go on. And so these are things that are going And the media is doing it as usual. And surprise, surprise, the corporate news media here in the United States is doing a terrible job of covering all of this because they're all covering it, surprise, surprise, from the perspective of the corporations. And in other words, their whole mantra is, how dare these workers be unsatisfied with piss poor wages? You know, they should be satisfied with that. You know, how dare they be unsatisfied with piss poor substandard working conditions? Huh. Oh, God, the nerve of those workers. So that's what you're getting from the corporate news media side of things. Here, as far as I'm concerned, these workers need to be paid and need to be paid more than what they're being paid now, much more. They should be getting 40% wage increases. And the work and the freaking corporations, when it comes to the UAW, oh, oh, you know, when it comes to the way they're dealing with the UAW, all these motor companies, Ford or the regime, or whether, oh, they can only have 20% wage increase. No, they should have. In fact, they're calling for 40, the workers. I think they should have, I think they should have 50% increases. Why not 50? Why not more? These corporations, these car companies are making money hand over fist. Hand over fist. I just told you 700, 600, 700 times. These CEOs are making 700 times what the workers are. Greedy guts. Greedy freaking owners. I'm telling you, these CEOs, it's just disgusting. And let's pretend, oh, they're not really, they're poor. They're on their hands and friggin' knees. Get the hell out of here with that nonsense. These bastards need to be reined in and they need to pay their fair share of taxes. And so today, President Biden stopped off in Detroit to express solidarity with those on the picket line. You've never had this before in this country. A president of the United States sitting or not sitting? Absolutely live with the workers. And that, you never have seen that before in 250 years of this country's history, as the United States, that is. Never seen it before. And so that's something that I think it's very significant. It's a very important day uh, for that. It's a significant thing that President Biden's done with this. 
And he's a friend of the union. He's made it very clear. And it's very true. Look, if you look at his record with unions as president, he has been there for the working unions. He's given many, not just speeches, but he's done a number of things that have actually protected unions and all these industries. So he's definitely a friend of the unions and he's made it very clear in this trip to Detroit today, Detroit, that that is what he's doing. So good for him. And, and listen, I, I, look, we need to reelect President Biden and Vice President Harris. All this garbage that you're hearing in the corporate news media, corporate, keep that in mind, here in this country, is all about trying to get you to be confused and trying to get you to start thinking about irrelevant things like someone's age. This man has got so much accomplished. And again, I promise you, I will do an in-depth look at all the things that the Biden administration has accomplished. In short order, I'll do that in the next few days, I promise. Because we need to get that out there. And this message needs to go far and wide. And you need to bring the message to where people are. I know that phrase is very hackneyed, but it is true. You need to. Because there are lots of people who don't know what the Biden administration have done. They're not clear on it because the corporate news media definitely ain't going to tell them. All the corporate news media is going to bombard them with is how old he is. How old are you now? How old are you now? How old are you, Biden? How old are you now? That's the corporate news media every day now with President Biden. Never mind the accomplishments. Never mind all the things he's done and all the things he's got done and all the things the administration has done to improve the safety and health of people in this country and their well-being and their wages. Never mind all that. Oh, no. Never mind the uh, deficit reduction, the debt reduction. Never mind the uh, record number of jobs. Never mind the record low unemployment. All all the corporate news media is going to tell you about is, oh, yes, he's old. He's old. He's old. Give me a friggin' break. It's just bullcrap. An ageist country. Oh, have you ever noticed that? How ageist this country is? I think you should know that. Because, you know, youth is wasted on the young. You know that too, don't you, dear listener? Youth is wasted on the young. But never mind that. We'll just keep talking about how old someone is. How ageist. And then this New Yorker magazine cover that came out yesterday or the day before that has, I think, Feinstein on the cover, President Biden on the cover, uh, Speaker Pelosi on the cover, and maybe one or two others, with walkers. I mean, I think that's just so ageist. And I think that piece of garbage on the cover as well, four times indicted piece of garbage. I just think it's all ageist. I mean, they, I mean, give me a break. You know, come on now. Knock it off, New Yorker magazine. That should be enough to overturn your subscription to that magazine right there on the spot. Because that's what they sp- think of you. Whoever did that cartoon, that sketch drawing for the New Yorker magazine is showing you how ageist they are. And by the way, remember, this is the same New Yorker magazine, the New Yorker, that did that cover of Michelle Obama and Barack Obama fist bumping each other in 2008 or 2009 or whenever the hell it was while he was in office. Whenever that year was, that was done. And that was, again, this racist thing, you know, that was going on. The race, And that's them telling you at the New Yorker how racist they are. Oh, fist bumping. Ooh. And they looked all the cartoons. It was just really whack. And again, you know, this is the kind of garbage these people do. So 
Anyway, I've got that off my chest now. President Biden, a big round of applause to you for standing with the workers, standing with the unions. God bless the working stiff. That's what I say. So I am very pleased he's done that. And also shout out to Vice President Harris, who gets no respect at all from this corporate news media, who doesn't want to see a black woman become president. That's really what that's about. And all Vice President Harris has done has gone all over the country, crisscrossing, making trips every, you know, all these college campuses and all these places to make speeches and policy speeches and actually do things and not just be a sitting number two that's got no visibility. The corporate news media is not showing you her visibility because, you know, they don't want people to see that because they don't want her to be president. That's what it is. And they don't like the idea of a black woman being president. That's how racist these people are. And that's how misogynoirist they are as well. So, dear listener, I want to let you know that there are things going on that you may or may not be aware of where the folks who are doing this work in the Biden administration are doing a damn good job, whether it's the Justice Department on fentanyl, whether it's these prosecutions of these violent ass anti-black police departments or anything else. They are doing a bang up job here all across the board here. The EPA is doing a really good job and all the rest of it. Now, there are lots of things, of course, that can be improved and should be done. Um, I'm telling you, they are being done and they're being worked on. And you really do need to understand that this administration is working for your best interest if you're here in the United States. When I come back, the main event. And that's next. stay in office with the country in crisis president biden got to work for us cutting black child poverty in half more money for black entrepreneurs millions of new good paying jobs he's lowered the cost of living and prescription drugs but there's more to do he gets it because we all deserve dignity safety respect and a chance to do more than just get by but to get ahead i'm joe biden and i approve this message Dear listener, welcome back on this Tuesday, September 26, 2023. You are listening to the Politocrat Daily Podcast. Yours truly, Omar Moore here. And of course, you remember this by now. I have to remember myself because I've got to tell you this more often. You are a well-respected and truly appreciated listener. Thank you very much for taking your time here on the Politocrat Daily Podcast. The main event today, well, it's emotions and emoticons. You know, I I was wondering if I should have played Mariah Carey's song, Emotions, uh, that I decided not to do that. I could have done that. And I wondered if I should have even, well, put it this way. I want to start by talking about emotion. It's good to have it. It's healthy. This society in the United States and a lot of societies in the West discourage the display of emotion, especially the display of emotion from men when it comes to crying particularly. However, there's lots of other emotions from men that the society really, you know, really does approve of, that has no problem approving of, especially if you are a white man. Your emotions will be backed to the hilt. You can have a temper tantrum. You can you know, be as outrageous as you want to be. Chances are, 
99.9999999999 times out of 100, you are going to be absolutely approved and, you know, and you're going to be coddled if you're in a work position and you hear someone at a meeting, particularly if that someone's a white man getting upset about something at a meeting, his emotions and his state of mind will be coddled and would be enabled and would be comforted by some boss, whether that boss is male, female, white, black, whomever. They will tread lightly and they'll go out of their way to coddle his feelings, no matter how incorrect his behavior is in expressing those feelings. You've had this at your job. You've had this at one time or another, whether it's at your job, whether it's at some kind of event, and you've got some raving, screaming white male um, beating his chest about how outraged he is about something. And particularly in context of that something being helping to uplift and empower people who have been oppressed in the country or in any place. And his emotions often, that white male's emotions, are genuflected to and coddled and enabled and comforted, right? If that's a black person, black man doing it, black woman doing it, not quite the same. And if they are upset about something, not quite the same. If a black person is trying to defend themselves in a situation, not the same kind of comfort given to them and not the same kind of empathy. It's the angry black woman or the angry black man. But when a white man does it or a white woman does it, it's coddled. You know, white tears, for example, a white woman on the witness stand. And if that person usually is the defendant in the case of Kim Potter, Remember that cop from Brooklyn Park in Minnesota who got convicted in 2021, the day before Christmas Eve? She was convicted. And then the judge ended up sentencing her in, in uh, February for basically nothing. Oh, she suffered enough. And, you know, and then ended up sending, sentencing her for 16 months. She's out of prison, by the way. Now, she got out of prison earlier this year, back in June of this year, I think it was. So Kim Porter, who took the life of a young brother, shot him with her gun. Oh, I, excuse me, I thought it was a taser I was shooting him with. You know, she's now back out on the street with her family and free to roam and roam. Whereas the family of Dante Wright, the young brother that she shot dead in April of 2021, they were about their son for the rest of their lives. And so... She cried on the witness stand, Kim Potter. Oh, I'm so sorry. She posed in a smiling mugshot too. She smiled for the camera in a mugshot. This is after she killed somebody. So the way that that gets done in American society, you know, that idea of white tears being coddled, white woman crying on the stand, we're supposed to feel sorry for her. You know, this is the kind of thing that people like Rudy... Ruby, pardon me, Hamad have spoken about, have written about in, in a book called um, Brown. I forgot what the exact title is. I've got the book here, for God's sakes. I should know better. You know, um, Brown Faces White Tears or something like that or whatever the, uh, whatever the title was. I don't want to do it incorrect. So I will, when I come, I'll take a break at some point and I'll give you the proper title of that book, I promise, and the author. So, But she wrote about this, you know, white women, women weaponizing their tears, emotions, but, you know, using them in a way that is designed to aggrandize their incorrect behavior. 
and designed to make everyone else in the room who is not white particularly feel guilty about having to put this woe is me white woman who committed some crime in this case with Kim Potter killed someone killed a 15 year old brother 16 whatever his age it doesn't matter what his age she took someone's life and the guy was not doing anything Dante Wright to threaten her life it was not self-defense at all and yet she's going to cry on the witness stand and she's doing it to save her own ass and she's doing it to back people off oh the white woman is now crying right So that is the context I want to put forth because when Marissa Alexander in Florida, a black woman, was defending herself against a violent man who she is married to, who was threatening her and beating her and all kinds of things, and she defended herself by shooting a gun up into the ceiling of her garage as a warning shot, she ended up getting sentenced to 20 years behind bars, 20 years in prison for that. She spent at least five, six, seven, eight years in prison, if not more, before she was finally released. She's now doing, has been for the last few years now, doing lecture tours, lectures on lecture circuit, speaking out about this. And she's doing criminal justice reform efforts. And she's working really hard on all that. Marissa Alexander in Florida, using the stand your ground law that works so well for George Zimmerman when George Zimmerman killed, executed executed was the aggressor against Trayvon Martin in 2012. You do remember that in the same state of Florida, don't you? And he was told not to follow Trayvon Martin. And these trials, and he, and he was acquitted. Despite the fact that he dis- disregarded the orders of police dispatchers who told him not to follow Trayvon Martin, he was the aggressor. He pounced on him, jumped on top of him, shot him dead. A wannabe cop, but a definite racist. George Zimmerman walked away, then selling his artwork and making money off of that on eBay. Selling, you know, artwork of guns. I mean, this guy is a piece of garbage, right? And he gets to kill someone black and get away with it. And so this is what happens And when Marissa Alexander, and he used stand your ground, and he got off. He was acquitted. When Marissa Alexander does it to defend herself, genuinely defend herself in her own home, defend the home, in her own home, right? A woman's home is a castle. So she's defending the home, defending herself in her home against her violent husband. Oh, no, stand your ground. We're not having it. You're going to prison. So you see what's going on here. I'm laying a foundation for what I'm going to get to here. Amy Cooper, the white woman, strangled her dog. Strangled her dog, lied to police dispatchers and said, oh, there's a black man threatening me and he's going to hit me da, 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 in Central Park. You remember her, Amy Cooper. The man that she was talking about was a black man who has the same last name. They might be related, you know. Christian Cooper. And he's a bird watcher. You remember this from 2021. I think it was March or April. It might have been on or May, the very same day, by the way, I think that George Zimmerman, George Zimmerman, that George Floyd was executed by a white male cop. And you remember, whenever this was, it might have been before, it actually may have been before um, that date, 
But the bottom line, dear listener, is in that year of 2021, 2020, excuse me, uh, it was 2020, let me get that correct, 2020, Amy Cooper is, is lying about, and as, as a lot of white women who do this with black men have done, is lie about them, you know. In these cases, whether it's Emmett Till, where I can go on and on, there's a case in Michigan around this as well. There have been many cases, uh, Scottsboro Boys, uh, many cases in history in this country, in the United States, where white women have got black men killed through lying about them. Oh, well, he, he attacked me, he raped me, and it simply wasn't true in those cases I'm talking about and in a number of others. There's a case of this in England where a black man basically was brought to his knees and lost his livelihood and everything. And a white woman lied about him. They, I think they were in a relationship together. And he wanted to break off the relationship, if I remember this correctly. And she um, didn't want that to happen. And so she lied about him and said that he attacked her and raped. Turned out that she, you know, she injured herself and did all these really bizarre, effed up things. I think this is in the Guardian newspaper from several years ago. And this black man suffered. And maybe that's a lesson to him and to other black men. And, and the bottom line, dear listener, is, is that this white woman put this brother through the ringer. And this guy um, really ended, ended up really getting wrecked and has lived to tell the tale since. But the bottom line, dear listener, is that this is what's going on. And this kind of look at emotions and how they're manifested in black people and in white people and how they are punished in black people and absolutely aggrandized and valued and exalted in white people. This is what's going on. And so Amy Cooper strangling her dog pretty much to death and doing that and lynching that dog basically as a message right in front of Christian Cooper, a black man. And so we know what message that's being, that's sending there. She knew what she was doing and then lying about this black man, hoping that the police would come in and kill him the way that the police came in and killed George Floyd over for what, 20 freaking dollars for God's sakes. Oh, this is a fake $20 bill. Oh, he's got to be killed for that. We've got to call the police for that. Anyway, so, you know, this is what's going on. This is what's been happening for centuries in this country. And so Amy Cooper ends up having charges dropped against her. Charges dropped. And the bottom line, dear listener, is that she ends up, you know, she was sacked from her job, I think, fired. And she had charges dropped. And she's probably working somewhere now, quiet as it's kept. But the point is, is that that's the point, is that the emotions of white people are valued much more heavily than the emotions of black people. And the default is when a white person cries, a white woman cries, forget about it. That is a done deal. You know, oh, we'll back off now because the white female is upset. And if a black woman is crying, it's she's over emotional. She's angry. She's acting in an unbecoming manner. How many times have we heard that? When you have black women celebrating in sports, how Serena Williams was celebrating when she won. She was called ungracious, disrespectful. This happened recently with Blake Shelton, who is a 
a brother who was on the US Open Tour, got for the semifinals against Novak Djokovic. And before that, when he won against uh, Francis Tiafo earlier this month, um, um, he was criticized for showing all kinds of emotion. And Novak Djokovic, when he beat Shelton in that semifinal a few weeks ago, earlier this month, um, you had him do an imitation of coming of the celebration that Blake Shelton did in the previous round. So there's this discouragement of emotion from black people, expression of it. And oh, in a quote unquote historically white sport like tennis, that's now a put that's now, oh dear, that shouldn't happen. Same thing. Do you remember, dear listener, when Serena Williams and Venus Williams wore beads in their hair? And in the earlier part of their career, in the late 90s, early 2000s, and it was always looked at as, oh, gosh, they're wearing these beads. That's so unladylike. That's so disrespectful. You know, that was going on in the media, too. And, you know, that uh, wretched tennis player, that white female tennis player named Irina Spirlea, and she bumped into Venus when Venus walked past her. And, you know, they really didn't criticize it that much in the media. And Venus just kept her cool and kept going. And Spirlea was being a piece of garbage. You can go and look that up online. S-P-I-R-L-E-A. Venus. Look at that in the U.S. Open. It was despicable. If Venus had done that to her, Spirlea, if Venus had done it, if that'd been the other way around, you would have heard the media for weeks. The media, of course, has attacked Serena Williams forever. Oh, she's the physicality of Serena Williams. Now they're all cozying up to her now that she's retired. Just don't use that word retirement around Serena Williams. Um, but, and I mean that in an affectionate way. And, and, but the point I'm making here is that that's the double standard around emotion when it comes to black people and white people. Now, when I come back with all that context laid out, dear listener, I'm going to talk to you about something that happened over the weekend when it comes to emotion. And the very different ways it was treated in this instance, right after this. Dear listener, the name of the book I was struggling to remember the title of is White Tears, Brown Scars by Ruby Hamad. R-U-B-Y, last name H as in Harold, A-M as in Mountain, A-D as in Delta. Again, the title, White Tears, Brown scars. Over the weekend, dear listener, welcome back. There was a college football game that took place. And of course, this is college football season in the United States this time of year. And so on Saturdays, particularly, it is a massive college football day. On Sundays, it's the NFL in this country when you get to September. And the same thing is true, um, well, Sundays is always a big NFL day here, once you get to September, every September in the United States, and for that matter, around the world, because the NFL is a global brand, if I can say that correctly. On Saturdays, when you get to September in the United States, it is college football Saturday, and it's a big, big day across the United States. Colleges all over the country get out there and support their team. And so on Saturday night, there was a massive game between Notre Dame and Ohio State. Now, though it doesn't really matter who the teams are, although their rivalry is a pretty strong one, those two. And so Ohio State is obviously in Ohio, and Notre Dame is in Indiana. 
the Fighting Irish. So their rivalry goes back forever, and you know they definitely don't like each other very much. So there was a big game that was played on Saturday night. Ohio State ended up winning the game, right? So I'll get to that in a moment, right? But I want to first play you something that took place nine and a half years before. Now, cast your mind back to January of 2014. It was the NFL on a Sunday night, the National Football Conference Championship game, the NFC Championship game in the NFL. It was in Seattle, the San Francisco 49ers against the Seattle Super, 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 goodness gracious, the Seattle Seahawks, pardon me, trying to get confused with the old basketball team in the NBA. It was the Seattle Seahawks hosting the San Francisco 49ers in this NFC Championship game in January of 2014. And it was a close game. And at the very end of the game, Richard Sherman, a cornerback, now, it doesn't matter if you don't know who he is. He's a defensive player for the Seattle Seahawks. Made a big play to break up what would have been a game-winning touchdown for the San Francisco 49ers, which would have sent the 49ers to the Super Bowl had that catch been made by Michael Crabtree, a receiver for the Niners who had been talking all kinds of trash up, uh, uh, you know, in, you know, or trash about Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman wasn't a good corner. He's not a good defensive player, all that kind of stuff. And so the final play of the game was to Michael Trapp, Crabtree. And the ball was thrown in his direction where Richard Sherman was the defender for Seattle. And Richard Sherman, you know, disrupted the pass and it was an incomplete pass, meaning that the catch was not made by Crabtree. Here's what happened after that. Because that meant that the game was over and Seattle would head to the Super Bowl. Here is the interview that Erin Andrews, a white female reporter for Fox News, Fox Sports at the time. And she still is with Fox Sports now, by the way. Fox Sports. This is her interview right after the end of the game with Richard Sherman, the corner for the defensive player, the cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks right after the game. You remember that, I hope. Those of you who pay any attention to sports, maybe you didn't pay attention to it, but I'll tell you, that was Richard Sherman talking to Aaron Andrews. And if you watch that, and you can find that clip on YouTube, you will see Aaron Andrews looks terrified. She looks scared. How dare he, a black man. Now, that's not what she was probably thinking, but she looks a little bit nervous, looks a little bit afraid. Richard Sherman is a black man who made a great play literally seconds before, within a minute or so of that play being made. That was the interview. 
And so he was in the very moment saying, how, you know, don't you ever trash talk me, Michael Crabtree. I'm the best out here. Right. And I remember at the time that you just heard that clip there at the time that clip uh, at the time that I watched that live at the time it happened in January of 2014. And I remember at the time how so many people were saying, oh, Richard Sherman's classless. How dare he do that? It's very unbecoming of him. You know, he shouldn't be doing something like this. This is really very poor sportsmanship and display by him. There's got to be a better way. He could have done it differently. Remember, I'll, I'll read you some of the quotes at the time. And I don't know if you remember. And, and this made news beyond just the sporting world. It was just crazy. Uh, you're sitting there going, why is the media making such a big, big deal of this? I mean, it was just crazy. It's just crazy. And I mean, the thing that just gets me is, although people, there were some people who were saying, you know what, this is really unreasonable for people to be having a go at Richard Sherman. The vast majority of people were saying he was too aggressive. He shouldn't have done that. That was really unreasonable of him. Why would he do something like that? He didn't need to be that aggressive to this poor white woman. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. And by the way, if if it were a black woman, I'd be saying the same thing. He wouldn't need to be. I'd be saying, you know, I'd be saying, you know, that if people criticized him, I'd be saying the same thing. Oh, he was, you know, I'd be mimicking the same kind of criticisms. So, you know, this this is something that was so crazy. And the thing is, is that there were so many people who were saying all kinds of things about this. I mean, for months. For months. And it's just crazy. It's just crazy. I can't find the quotes at the moment, but I, I will tell you, there were people who were black and white criticizing Richard Sherman. And then Richard Sherman had to get on TV and do a press conference a few days later and explain, you know, look, this is my passion. This is my fear. He has to now justify his emotions to some people who are afraid of black people when they express theirs, but when white people express their emotions violently, in many instances, oh, and no one's there asking them to stand up and account for themselves, have a press conference around it. Nobody told uh, Derek Chauvin to have a press conference and express how, you know, explain what you were doing there, violently killing George Floyd. Oh, yeah, you get what I'm saying, though. I know, I can hear you now. Well, why would he, someone who's been... A... But why would Richard Sherman then? I get it, there's a big difference. One person was executed, another another one was raked over the coals for months for ha having dare show some emotion in a post-game interview. 
But when these white guys do it, another story. And all of this stuff was crazy. People were making jokes about it. President Obama at the time joked about it um, at the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, I mean, this is crazy. It's crazy. There were all these searches for Richard Sherman. That was a big deal. It was just crazy. And believe it or not now, over the last few years, Richard Sherman and uh, Aaron Andrews have been friends. Very good friends, actually. And there's photos of them hugging each other. In other words, it's kind of like this reassuring message to white America. Oh, don't worry, we're just friends. He's not bad. You know, Richard Sherman's a good guy. He went to Stanford University, which he did, by the way. And that was another thing. Oh, you know, he's a very intelligent man. He went to... <laughs> He went to Stanford. Yeah, the home of enslavement masters like uh, Leland Stanford, who, you know, goodness gracious me, owned many, you know, black people and property as property and, and all the rest of it. But let's not go there. Oh, jeez. So, oh, he went to Stanford and we're friends. It's okay, white America. Richard Sherman's not an animal. He's nice. That's the subtext. Damn it. That's the freaking subtext. Oh, and Aaron Andrews. Oh, the only thing I regret is that it ended awkwardly. And <laughs> I give her, I quote, I always, this is from the Sporting News in 2020. Quote, I always give her a hug when I see her, in quote. Sherman told Sporting News of Andrews. Speaking at the 49ers Super Bowl Hotel in Miami. Now, by the way, Richard Sherman became a 49er for one season a few years later. And he's now working with uh, Amazon Prime as part of their Thursday night football team. He's one of the pundits on there. Andrews, who was at the uh, Super Bowl media conference at the Super Bowl hotel that the Niners were in. This must have been around 2020 or so when they last went to the Super Bowl, whenever it was. Quote, this is Aaron Andrews, same article from the Sporting News in 2020. Quote, I love him so much, I enjoy him so much as a person, and I enjoy him so much as a player. End quote. I mean, it's just crazy. And a white America had a conniption, and some folks in black America did too, and people across the board. Oh, he was out of line, he was classless. You had these white broadcasters and sports radio going, yeah, that was ridiculous, what was he doing? He's expressing his feelings, pardon me. Oh, he's supposed to be all like this after he made one of the greatest plays defensively in the history of an NFC championship game. He's got to be so calm because white people don't like it when black people tend to shout. That is the subtext because you want to police our emotions. When we are black in this country, you want to police our emotions. We're supposed to do this, do that, be still, stop moving around, stop smiling, stop having black joy, stop being having upset when you're black, stop being angry, stop feeling anything, stop, 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 stop being anything. You tase a black band leader because he has black joy and he wants his orchestra to finish off their song. And the black cop doesn't want that because he's working in a white 
paradigm that says black joy is not allowed and a white system in an anti-black system that says white black joy pardon me is not allowed black joy is never allowed here and in enslavement black people couldn't even sing and smile because they could be killed for that they couldn't educate themselves because they could be killed and were killed for that black joy was never allowed in this place. And black outrage wasn't either. So, oh, you can't get upset. You're unreasonable. You're the angry black woman or the angry black man. We can't have this here. No, 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 no. You've got to be quiet and docile. You've got to be gone with the wind, be a happy-go-lucky enslaved person. You're getting three square a day. What's there not to like about that? And so that's the subtext. So Richard Sherman was absolutely doing tours, going all over the place, explaining to America, make that explaining to white America, that he's a good person and, you know, it was in the heat of the game. And why does he have to explain himself? Why? To reassure white America that... uh, Don't worry, I'm not the angry black man that you think I am. I'm harmless. I won't date your daughter. I won't touch your daughter. Don't worry about me. I'm not that kind of black man. All of that subtext was going on through the interview, the reaction to it, and after it, way after it. You know, the white woman with the microphone in front of the black man, and the black man is telling you how he feels about people who would dare try him like Michael Crabtree, a black man himself, by the way. But, you know, that sounded threatening to Erin Andrews at the time, and she looked visibly afraid because, you know, what black person doesn't scare a white person to death, a white female person to death? It's just crazy. Crazy. But that's the racism. That is the racist system that you've got. So I want to now turn your attention to what happened on Saturday. Ohio State against Notre Dame. Last second win from Ohio State. Here is the interview with the Ohio State football head coach, Ryan Day. A white man being interviewed by a white female reporter, Catherine Tappan, who does the NHL on NBC and all the rest of it. I think she she does that still, NHL Network. And she is doing the NBC stuff uh, here as well with the college football. She's asking the questions of Ryan Day. Again, he's the white male head coach of Ohio State. This, this is right after the game on Saturday night. Coach, you're standing by with Catherine Tapp. Coach, you knew this one wasn't going to be easy, but it came down to the wire. And what can you say about the performance from your quarterback, Kyle McCord, to finish that drive? Toughness. Toughness. That's it. Physicality, cross the board, finish it off, having guts. You know, like I like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. What he said about our team, what he said about our team, I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio. It's always been Ohio against the world. And it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids, and we got a tough team. What did they prove to you tonight in this victory that you'll take toughness. away and run with? Toughness. 
Everybody's questioning these games all the time. We had one bad half the last couple years. That's it. Everybody wants to question these guys. These guys are warriors right here to come back and win. This kid right here to come back in the second half and win. I'm emotional about this for a reason. A lot of people question these kids and say a lot of things about them. I love them. When someone attacks your family to come in and win like this is special. It's a great win for our program and a great win for Ohio State. That was Saturday night. And that's the same exact thing that Richard Sherman did. Right? The context is the exact same thing. Someone disrespected, in this case, Lou Holtz, the head coach, used to be head coach of Notre Dame, legendary head coach of Notre Dame, right? Criticized Ryan Day and criticized, or certainly criticized Ohio State, his football team that he had, that he's a head coach of. And so that was Ryan Day with his emotions after a game that he and his team had just won at Notre Dame in their building in the last moment of the game. And he has a go at the person who was talking nonsense about him and his team. And there's a white female reporter there, Catherine Tappan. And by the way, she did look a little bit nervous uh, when he started going off. And by the way, another thing that I will bring up here, the toxic masculinity, right? Because the threat of that is, would these two men, whether they are black or white, Richard Sherman and Ryan Day, would they have erupted in this way? Would they have been as emotional if a man had been interviewing them? Probably they would have, by the way. Because I've seen interviews where that's happened. and I've seen interviews where a woman has interviewed them, a female reporter has interviewed various people after victories, and they're not shouting and screaming into the microphone. These interviews take place, by the way, literally right after the end of the game. There is really no break apart from the handshakes at the end. And after that, you've got a microphone and camera in your face. I'm not condoning anything. I'm not seeing anything wrong with either of those responses. And although there were some people, well, let me just play you this. Here is exactly what happened on the, in the broadcast right after Ryan Day gave the response I just played you. I want you to listen to what the next words were out of the mouth of the NBC broadcasting crew. These white men that you are about to hear. All right, KT, an emotional Ryan Day, and understandably so, after a victory like this, he'd been questioned so much in how he handles big games. Yeah. And he just said in the biggest moment, he found a way to put the ball in the right player's hands, find a way to get out in front and win this game in really dramatic fashion. Oh, an emotional Ryan Day, and understandably so. Hear what I'm hear that? This is what I said earlier about how White men's emotions are placated and coddled and enabled and comforted, right? So Ryan Day gets that kind of treatment from the broadcast booth right after that piece that I just played you, right? But Richard Sherman, nine years ago, is raked over the coals, raked over the coals. And I get it. Some on social media did respond to Ryan Day and said, oh, that's giving me the vibes of Richard Sherman and Aaron Andrews. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What vibes? I mean, this is right after the game has happened. I mean, the adrenaline's still pumping. Again, I'm not making any justification. I'm just setting the scene of, of this. But Ryan Day did not get overly criticized. And I guarantee you, he won't have to be going doing press conferences and apology tours 
for the next three months over this. Because the next week of football is coming up. So he won't have to do that. Say the next week of football is coming up for Richard Sherman as well. Oh, granted, he had two weeks off between that championship game in 2014 and the Super Bowl. But the point is, is that it's just ridiculous. I guarantee you, you won't see this in the next White House Correspondents' Dinner. President Biden won't be saying anything about Ryan Day having a go at Lou Holtz in front of Catherine Tappan. That, you're not going to be hearing that. You're not going to be hearing it. See, the whole way that we deal with emotions when white people express them versus when black people do, it's so built into the racist system that we've got here. The anti-black racist system. So obvious that that's what that was about. And yeah, there were a few on social media who criticized Ryan Day, but most of them were saying, well, why is he having a... Who cares about Lou Holtz? They weren't necessarily talking about how vigorous his emotions were. He's not been roundly condemned as unprofessional. Oh, it's terrible what he did. I mean, give me a break. And the other thing is, what about emotions? We don't want to have emotions. We don't want to have emotions and feelings in sports or anywhere else. A man's not to have, supposed to have feelings. If he cries, he's a bad guy. He's not a man. If he shouts, he's aggressive and he's a bully. In the case of a black man, if he does that, he should have it. He should go and do an apology tour for three months. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. When a woman shows emotion now, she's irrational. Oh, she's not thinking. She's irrational. You know, when, when Serena Williams jumps up and down and celebrates, that's unprofessional and a disrespect of the game of tennis. I mean, what are we supposed to do with our emotions? What are we supposed to do? Whether it's sports or anything else, day-to-day basis. You don't give a black girl a medal in the gymnast group in Ireland in 2022. And now, what's supposed to happen there? Is she supposed to be happy about that, the black girl who was passed over for her medal? And all the white girls, they got medals. Except the black one black girl that was there. And now, wait, are we out of line now for uh, trying to get justice for this black girl? This is ridiculous. This policing of black emotion and black feeling is evil. And it is obviously anti-black racist. Our emotions and our feelings are genuine. And we shouldn't have to justify that to anyone. I don't care whether you're Richard Sherman or me. Or whether it's you as a black person who's listening to this. None of us should be here having to and ever should ever be justifying our feelings or emotions. Ever. Because I guarantee you white people aren't asked to do that. Especially white men aren't asked to do that. Our humanity counts. Our lives matter. And as black people, we must continue to express our feelings and our emotions. And never apologize for your feelings or your emotions. Never. You shouldn't apologize for having feelings and expressing them. As long as you're not violent doing it. And Richard Sherman was not violent 
in the clip I played you, as you know, last time I checked. So all of this nonsense is built into policing the expression of black people. That's what this is all about. Don't show feelings. And it's built into this stuff that goes into the medical profession. Oh, black people can withstand pain. They don't express pain. They've got stronger pain barrier. And this stuff is so deadly and pernicious and dangerous and racist. And it must end. It must end. Thank you very much for listening to this edition of The Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. Finish it off, having guts. You know, like I like to know where Lou Holtz is right now. What he said about our team, what he said about our team, I cannot believe. This is a tough team right here. We're proud to be from Ohio. It's always been Ohio against the world. And it'll continue to be Ohio against the world. But I'll tell you what, I love those kids, and we got a tough team. What did they prove to you tonight in this victory that you'll take away toughness. and run with? Toughness. Everybody's questioning these kids all the time. We had one bad half. The last couple years. That's it. Everybody wants to question these guys. These guys are warriors right here to come back and win. This kid right here to come back in the second half and win. I'm emotional about this for a reason. A lot of people question these kids and say a lot of things about them. I love them. When someone attacks your family to come in and win like this is special. It's a great win for our program and a great win for Ohio State.